Welcome to Your Child's Brain, a podcast series produced by Kennedy Krieger Institute with assistance from WYPR. I'm Dr. Brad Schlager, pediatric neurologist and president and CEO of Kennedy Krieger Institute. As we are well into year three of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're learning more and more each day about COVID-19 and about SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes it. But there are still so many things that we don't know, especially about COVID and kids. Today, we will be discussing the phenomenon of long COVID. That's the persistence of COVID-related symptoms well after the infection is over. And in particular, we'll be discussing long COVID in children. As parents and students gear up in the next few weeks for another school year with this pandemic, we thought it would be timely to share with you our current understanding of long COVID in children. So today, I'm joined by my colleagues, Drs. Laura Malone and Amanda Morrow, who are the co-directors of the Pediatric Post-COVID-19 Rehabilitation Clinic at Kennedy Krieger. Dr. Malone is also an assistant professor of neurology and physical medicine and rehabilitation at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Dr. Moreau is an assistant professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine as well. So welcome, Laura and Amanda. Let's start with some definitions. Um, What does the term long COVID mean? What are the symptoms in kids and and how do you diagnose it? Sure. So we've heard a bunch of different terms kind of thrown out there in the media, long COVID, long haul COVID. Um, There's also a term post-COVID condition, but these all refer to a condition where children and adults um, develop new ongoing or recurrent symptoms after their initial COVID-19 infection. Um, And then the WHO, the World Health Organization, uh, recently published a definition of post-COVID conditions, expanding that to a symptom onset usually occurring within about three months of initial infection with symptoms lasting um, for at least two months. And these symptoms can't be explained by any alternative um, diagnosis. Some of the common symptoms that we're seeing, you had asked, fatigue is one of the major symptoms that we're seeing in children, lightheadedness, especially with positional changes, brain fog or cognitive difficulties, headaches, chest pain, difficulty breathing, uh, muscle or joint aches and pains sometimes stomach pains, skin rashes. So it's really a variety of symptoms affecting multiple different organ systems. Laura, I think it would be helpful if you took us through a story about one of, one of the patients that you see in the post-COVID clinic. Sure. We've seen a wide range of symptoms and presentations in our patients, but just one example is um, actually pretty, pretty early on um, after our clinic was started, we saw Um, A young woman, she was a a teenager that was an avid soccer player, um, just very active, engaged in both school and community um, activities. And she had a mild case of COVID acutely. She had a little bit of runny nose, really didn't think a whole lot about it, but tested positive for it and started to feel better after a few days. And then she developed some really persistent fatigue um, to the point that she wasn't able to uh, play soccer anymore. She had trouble just doing regular activities with her family, just, you know, normal types of um, walking around the neighborhood or those types of things. 
due to this persistent fatigue and feeling lightheaded when she was trying to walk around and things. And this really lasted for quite a while before she came and saw us, you know, on the order of five or six months, she continued to experience these symptoms. And um, things gradually improved over time. Um, we got her into some physical therapy. We um, had her work with a counselor to talk about how all of her body and how she was struggling in these activities was affecting her mood and all, the, all those types of things. And we really saw that she had great improvement over time. Um, and she was able to go back to her regular activities, going to play um, soccer on her team and um, really just return to her usual life. That, that's that's a that's a great outcome. I, I'm wondering if that time course is typical of what you've been seeing, or is there a variety of, of time courses that that patients present with? Yeah, that's a great question. That is, um, it is common to see that type of time course, but there are different uh, patterns that patients can have. So some patients will say that I felt really fatigued or sick acutely, and then my singers, my symptoms have just lingered on from that time period. Others say that they have this improvement, and then they either develop new or those symptoms reoccur. We've even seen in some patients where they'll have long periods of recovery back to their usual activities, and then something triggers again, sort of this, these symptoms to reoccur, to, to affect their lives um, uh, to a great deal again. So there are different patterns, and so I think it's really important to be aware that new symptoms can occur, and there can be these times of feeling pretty good, and that doesn't exclude a long COVID diagnosis. Got it. So Amanda, when you go back to the, the beginning of the pandemic, almost two and a half years ago, there were greater likelihood of adults getting COVID. And then we started hearing about long COVID in adults. And then shortly after that, we started to get the first signal that children were, were having not just COVID infections, but getting long COVID as well. What is the risk for children getting long COVID? And are certain children or teens more likely to develop it? So it's still a bit unclear what the risk will end up being. Um, a recent meta-analysis uh, suggested that it may be about a quarter of pediatric patients develop long COVID after their initial COVID infection. Um, some more conservative studies or estimates are about 10%, but really there's a wide range that's reported in the literature um, from about 2% to 60% um, in individual studies. So the data is still to be determined there. Um, as far as the age groups, it does seem to be impacting uh, later school age children and adolescents, um, but we are seeing younger ages impacted as well. Laura, we, um, we know of other chronic uh, illnesses that affect the nervous system that uh, are caused by acute or we think are caused by or driven by uh, acute viral infections, for example, multiple sclerosis appears to be uh, related pretty strongly to Epstein-Barr virus, the, the virus that causes infectious mononucleosis or mono. Is there a similar kind of mechanism for uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2, COVID, and long COVID? Or what, or what do we know about the proposed mechanisms for long COVID? Yeah, so there are multiple proposed mechanisms um, out there that are currently being researched, um, which I think is a really important Thing to understand because then it helps us understand how best to treat and design and develop medications that can target it. 
So the, there are various theories out there that are being tested, like I mentioned, and some of those are, um, it really is thought to be a combination between the virus effects and also maybe some host effects in the, the person themselves. Um, and some of this is, is the virus somehow causing a dysregulated immune response, whether that's to the acute virus or maybe some persistent inflammatory effects. And then there's also ideas that um, SARS-CoV-2 might cause sort of an autoimmune response in some people that where the body is then going and attacking itself. And there's um, ideas that maybe there's this lingering virus that exists sort of in reservoirs in the body um, that might be driving it as well. So at this point, we really don't know the exact answer to that. But um, I think that there is mounting evidence, at least that I've seen from a neurological perspective to this idea of an immune dysregulation or inflammatory response, because there have been some studies that show changes in the brain um, that, that would lead us to believe that this might be a, a significant uh, mechanism. But I think that in the end, there probably is going to be a multifactorial type of um, reasoning as to why people develop long COVID. And I think that some of those mechanisms might be slightly different in children and adults um, because their acute infections tend to be different, which I think is really important to take into account as well as we're studying these mechanisms. So we're, we're talking about an, an infectious process that may be triggering an immune response, uh, as, as you just laid out. So Amanda, does a, does a vaccine prevent long COVID by potentially preventing that initial infection or the body's response, uh, a strong response to that infection. What do we know about vaccines and potential prevention of long COVID? So there have been some recent studies that are suggesting that vaccines um, may treat or decrease the burden of long COVID in those who are affected. Um, one study out of the UK in adults um, found a decrease in long COVID symptoms uh, by about 20% um, after two vaccine doses. And another study uh, published in JAMA recently showed a lower long COVID prevalence um, in those who had had two or three doses of the vaccine compared to those with no vaccination. Um, so we are hopeful that vaccination may um, help uh, prevent long COVID. And in general, um, vaccine reduces your risk of developing COVID in the first place. So the best way to prevent long COVID is to prevent um, yourself from ever getting COVID infection, if possible. We're starting to hear that, Amanda, that, that um, you can get multiple infections uh, that, especially lately with um, the recent variants of, of Omicron. Is there any evidence that there's a compounding risk of having long COVID after multiple uh, COVID infections? So um, unfortunately, yes, we know people can get COVID infection more than once. And at least anecdotally in our clinic, we have seen um, in some children, even if they did not develop long COVID after their initial COVID infection, um, they will develop long COVID after maybe a second COVID infection or a third. So again, just going back to that vaccination point, um, the more we can prevent long COVID or infection with COVID, hopefully we can prevent long COVID from developing. And I just want to be clear, there, there's not evidence that 
when somebody has long COVID that 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 condition is contagious, correct? Absolutely not. Long COVID is not contagious. Yeah. So Laura, as I mentioned at the outset, the two of you co-direct the the Pediatric Post-COVID-19 Rehabilitation Clinic at Andy Krieger. Can you tell us how that clinic is configured and, and why, uh, what the, the thought process is for the, the approach that, that you take to, uh, to caring for patients with long COVID? Sure. So um, our clinic was started um, in the fall of summertime of 2020. And so we have, um, our clinic has changed over time, depending on the needs of the patients, as we've learned more about how we can help uh, support children that are suffering from these symptoms. And so our approach is to use a multidisciplinary approach um, in order to tackle long COVID from multiple different perspectives and viewpoints. So we have different clinicians um, with various backgrounds in our clinic. Um, I address the neurological uh, symptoms and needs of patients. Dr. Morrow addresses the rehab. We also have uh, behavioral psychology in our clinic, social work, physical therapy, and everybody takes a little piece to the puzzle, um, which I think is really important because many of the symptoms overlap multiple domains. And we really focus on the functioning of children and getting them to improve their quality of life, to be able to participate in their activities, um, and to do that through different therapies, but also using medications when that's appropriate to help them help with their pain or um, help with their fatigue, those types of things. Amanda, the, as you've been uh, since the outset, really, the first few months of the uh, pandemic is when we stood up this clinic. You've seen long COVID playing out over the course of the pandemic. So how has the nature of long COVID changed with the different variants of the virus over time? So as you mentioned, we have seen long COVID develop um, related to each of the variants um, and the different waves. Um, but some of the different variants um, had diff more prominent symptoms. So as an example, um, the original strain, there were more reports of um, prolonged loss of taste and smell um, as uh, an initial um, issue, but also uh, related to long COVID. Um, so we're hearing this less with the more recent strains. Um, and then just in general, the alpha and delta strains were associated with more severe acute illness, um, especially in adults. So their symptoms of long COVID may also encompass the fact that they were hospitalized and had uh, cardiac and pulmonary um, comorbid issues related to the initial infection. Um, versus Omicron um, seems to be causing less severe illness. Um, and then there was a recent study uh, published in The Lancet um, that reported that the risk of developing long COVID after Omicron was only about half the risk of developing long COVID after Delta. But in general, because Omicron was so infectious and impacted so many people, we're actually seeing a higher number of long COVID cases uh, related to Omicron, just related to the number of infections. That's a really important point to emphasize. So I think the headline for that study was Omicron has the lower risk per, at an individual level of developing long COVID, which is good, but the overall uh, rate of long COVID is higher because of the greater 
overall infectivity of, of that variant. Really important exactly. point. And, I, and so, Laura, we also brought up the, the issue of, um, Amanda just brought up the issue of how severe illness uh, also has features that can look like this phenomenon of long COVID. So how do you separate out what's related to the consequences of more severe initial illness versus long COVID? Or is, is it possible to really pull those apart? Yeah, I think that that's where um, uh, understanding the mechanisms really is important. Um, so we know that uh, being in a intensive care setting, having a severe illness and being hospitalized can be associated with long-term problems, whether that's with fatigue or um, people have memory problems or cognitive problems sometimes after that. And that's well known, especially in the adult population um, where it's been more studied. And I think that that's a, a major consideration in the adult patients with long COVID is that we're grouping both people that have the severe illness and then also those that have a even adults that mild acute illness that then develop these sort of post-acute symptoms. And the pattern that we see more commonly in children is the mild acute, uh, acute infection and then these sort of post-acute um, sequela. And so I think that it's important to understand the mechanisms and also to really try and study children with long COVID um, as well and not just um, rely on adult studies. Uh, because there may be some of these differences. And I think that's really important to ascertain and understanding the mechanisms helps us understand that overall. So I can imagine that parents listening in uh, who, who may be wondering if their, their child uh, needs attention mm -hmm. for potential long COVID. So Amanda, when should a parent seek help for long COVID? So I think a parent should seek help you know, whenever they are concerned. Um, but in general, I would say about four weeks after the initial infection, if their child is still experiencing symptoms related to that or new symptoms, it's a great idea to bring that up with their pediatrician um, so they can do an evaluation um, and make sure there's nothing else going on or complications that have developed. And then if they do think the symptoms may be related to um, the development of long COVID, um, the hope is that the earlier we can intervene and make some recommendations and recognize this syndrome, hopefully we can get kids on the right track to be able to feel better, to be able to still participate in their school and their activities so that they continue to have a good quality of life as their bodies are sort of recovering um, from the illness and getting better over time. One of the barriers may be that, and I, I suspect that you're still hearing this, that um, there's a um, dismissiveness about the symptom complex that is long COVID. So could you speak to that? And also what, what other kinds of misconceptions do you, the, do you hear uh, on the front lines? Uh, Laura, maybe take this one ab about uh, long COVID. I think with regards to misconceptions, um, we still do hear people sometimes say, I didn't realize children could even get COVID or if they got COVID, it's no big deal, which you know, fortunately for a lot of children, that is the case, but for some it's not. And I think even more so, people aren't aware that children can have long COVID. They think you have to have some severe hospitalization acutely in order to, to develop long COVID, and that's just not the case. And so 
I think that it's really important to um, be aware of it. And as you mentioned, Brad, to not be dismissive of the symptoms that children might be experiencing, because a lot of these symptoms are sometimes a little vague, a little nebulous, hard to pin down. And they can also be something that occurs gradually over time. So it, it can be hard to say this exactly is a change in my child. But it's important to believe the children, to talk to them about it, and to take that seriously and to talk about it with healthcare providers, because there are things that we can do in order to help them feel better and help the recovery process. One of the concerns clearly is about, as, as I mentioned at the outset, we're heading into the, the, the next school year. Uh, and the issue of how these symptoms interact with success in school. So Amanda, how, how do you advise parents and, and, and schools to support kids who are experiencing long COVID? Well, there definitely needs to be a conversation between uh, the family and the school. Um, schools need to be educated about long COVID, what it is, how it manifests, how they can support their students. Um, and as Laura had already mentioned, just making sure they're not dismissing their symptoms and they're providing supports. Um, and as we've mentioned, long COVID can affect uh, school performance, especially in those who have brain fog and cognitive complaints and fatigue. Some of these kids are feeling very debilitated. Um, so kids can um, may qualify for special education and related services under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act or the IDEA Act um, or Section 504. Um, and accommodations can often be helpful, school-based accommodations. So examples include rest breaks, um, decreased assignments, having increased time to take tests, um, having a quiet place to work. Um, it's really important to look at each child individually and figure out how they can make it through a school day so that they're still able to participate and conserve their energy to um, be able to participate in their activities as well. So to that point, Amanda, some, some children may already have individualized education programs or 504 plans. So what, what do you recommend for those students as the school year uh, is beginning who are experiencing long COVID? So I would say to make sure that they're reviewing their plans um, to make sure that their accommodations are appropriate and talking with their medical providers just to um, make sure that all their symptoms are being um, considered uh, when they're reevaluating those plans. So, Laura, let's um, let's talk a bit about that. The both of you are very much involved in long COVID research uh, with other clinicians around the country. Can can you tell us what's happening for pediatric long COVID research? Sure. Um, so, there's a lot of effort for different centers to collaborate and work together. So, um, Amanda and I, and actually some other members of our team. Um, are involved in projects like developing pediatric-specific guidance for primary care doctors, for uh, places that want to develop uh, their own pediatric long COVID clinics, which I think is important because um, it's important to be able to disseminate the knowledge and the experience that people have uh, with any new diagnosis. And so um, we're involved in those types of activities. And, um, you know, we're involved in national and international collaborations trying to describe the syndrome a little bit more to, in order to understand also what treatments help patients and um, if there's any particular risk factors that might um, predispose patients to developing long COVID. And um, 
you know, I think that this, again, highlights the importance of studying pediatrics um, in particular and not just relying on adult-based research. And so there's national and international efforts that's really trying to do that. Amanda, maybe close with some final comments about issues that you think need to be highlighted, really just to to emphasize some takeaway messages for, for our listeners. So kind of just to summarize some of the points we've made um, and for people to, to take away from this, long COVID is a real condition. We are seeing this in children and adults, and we are seeing how affected um, that people can be and how much their quality of life can be impacted. And some of these children are very debilitated. So we need to be vigilant with supporting these kids, uh, recognizing the illness and providing early treatment strategies to help them feel better. And then as we've already mentioned, making sure we're supporting them through school and with other resources so that they can um, get back to themselves and feeling normal again. You've been listening to Your Child's Brain. Thank you to our guests and we hope that you, our listeners, have found this information helpful. Your Child's Brain is produced by Kennedy Krieger Institute with assistance from WYPR and producer Spencer Bryant. Please join us next time as we examine the mysteries of your child's brain.